Welcome to the Road to Life Church podcast. Here with our pastor, Micah Shepline, you will be inspired through the Word of God. For more information, please visit roadtolifechurch.com. Today, what we're going to be talking about is uh, something, and I, here's the deal. If you guys notice, I'm wearing uh, the, the lapel mic. It's for you guys, online audience, uh, to make sure you can hear me, because obviously, normally, I go like this with a mic. Um, speaking of, I want to shout out our online. We got Scott Raddy, Sarah Gray, and Dora Sutherland. You guys are awesome. Thanks for tuning into church, 9 a.m. You are great. Can we give it up for our online audience? Thank you guys so much for being with us this morning. I always forget we actually switched our online service from 11 a.m. to 9 a.m. So if you ever need to tune in, you should be here, though. But if you need to, but you should be here. Anyway, um, so with that. Uh, I want to talk about something, and, and really I'm calling it post-literate society. Post-literate society. Now, many of you guys, if you didn't know this in school, or depending how long, how far back you were in school, is there's a book you have to read. It's called 1984, and it's essentially about how books have become outlawed, and the government essentially goes after all of these, lit- all of literature, and just burns it. And it's actually a pretty insane kind of book and really actually there's a decent movie Michael B. Jordan I think plays in it 1984 that I I enjoyed I don't know where it's at or something but um with that though a post-literate society I was researching it today I mean boiled down what I'm going to be talking about is our walk with the Lord as it pertains to his Bible because in my opinion I think we as a church are really at a point of crisis as it pertains to biblical understanding and commitment to um, really the Bible on our own. What we like is we like regurgitated information. So you guys like my Bible walk that I can talk to you about, and essentially you can say, amen, that's a great Bible walk. But when we ask ourselves the question, you know, what is our relationship with Scripture, I think it gets a little bit testy because really, like, if it comes down to it, if I was like, okay, how often are we in our Bible, right, every week? Or my mom said every day, right? How often are we in our Bible, right? Can we recite three scriptures, just three, right? You know, it was funny this week. I was going to be talking about this, and I got on the phone with somebody. And uh, they're kind of a fringe guy who's been around here. My wife's going to know who I'm talking about. I had him on FaceTime, and they were at work. And they said, hey, I'm excited for church on Sunday. I said, great. And he was talking about how much I loved it. And I just did a little, uh, little lab test. And I looked at him. I said, can you recite three scriptures for me right now? And this guy looks at me. He's like, yeah. And he goes, uh, what's the one everybody gets tattooed on them? <laughs> and I said, something about things in Christ, impossible or something. He said, Philippians 4.13, I could do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Oh, yeah, that one. Yeah, that one counts, right? I said, no, that doesn't because you, you didn't know it. You just genuinely saw it tatted on a bunch of people and were like, oh, yeah, I think that one. But essentially, it's funny because that person has been to church a, a lot of different times, and hopefully they're not here at the, well, I hope they are here at the 11th, so I can tell that story and they're here, but whatever. I got myself in trouble. Anyway, but what I'm saying, though, is there's this, this idea, I think, a lot of the times of, like, I can come to church I can hang out in Christian community, I can be around good people, I can do good things, and I don't have to read the good book. Or not only that, like, it, it's this place where essentially, if I were to even take it a step further, I mean, I love, 
getting into the nitty-gritty of Scripture, but even nowadays, the wide consensus, and I'm not saying this as a trigger mechanism, but the wide consensus that the King James Version Bible is the most accurate Bible, even that is not necessarily the truth in essence. What, what I'm saying is there are so many different misconceptions, but at the same time, what I would say is this idea that we can, we can go through a Christian life without understanding that the Bible is the foundation of it. And even right now, when was the last time you said a prayer that incorporated a passage of Scripture? And what I'm, I'm not trying to get like this critical or condescending way of preaching today, but what I am trying to do is challenge because this has been on my heart for a while because I'll be honest, you guys probably look at me and are like, well, you know, you're a pastor guy, so of course you read your Bible and kind of have to. And it's like, yeah, but it's not this thing that automatically you wake up and Bible reading is a strength for me, right? It's not. But what it does come down to, in all honesty, is making room for the things that are important. And I'm going to preface this with a story. A few years ago, me and my buddy Larry Lopez, who's gone now, but he might watch this and he'll remember this. We were going to a Notre Dame game, Notre Dame versus Virginia Tech. (coughs) And while we were headed down there, uh, you shouldn't do this because it's illegal. But I definitely, I like to scalp tickets. I don't do it anymore because it is illegal. But back then... What I do is go in the parking lot, and there is nothing more manly than walking up to somebody, and they're saying 200 and you say 80 bucks. <laughs> and nobody, everybody's like, oh, I'm not going to agree with that, but all the dudes are like, amen. <laughs> like, what'd you settle at, 110? Anyway, right, it's like, that, that just is fun to me. I love going up, like, what, what do you want for it? It's like, I got a stick of bubble gum, and you can take a shoelace, Right. And, but here's the thing about it is I remember we were at a game and we, we got these tickets and these tickets were incredible. This was a night game on a Saturday night. They were the 50-yard line, lower deck, probably like 20 rows up, and we were excited because we paid about 100 bucks a piece for them. And I remember we get in the stadium, and, 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 and at that time, Notre Dame had just upgraded all of its Wi-Fi, so I was, like, FaceTiming all my friends, like, we on the 50, let's go, right? It was like, because I don't get seats like that, like, no offense, I, I'm a penny pitcher, unless it's golf, but... Um, but here's the deal. I, we're on the 50-yard line, and it's incredible, and the game's about to start, and we are locked in. And we are stoked, and me and Larry, we are excited. We're at a night game at Notre Dame. And I remember some people walk in, and they walk right up to us. And they go, hey, I think you're in the wrong seats. And I said, no, I'm not. And I look at my ticket. We're not in the wrong seat. We look at their ticket. They're not in the wrong seat. We've got the same tickets. So we've got six tickets for four seats. And I remember I look at them and they're looking at me like, is anybody going to buckle? And I'm like, absolutely not. (laughs) And I look at him and I say, you know what, if you want, we can resolve this. We can go down to the ticket counter. And and the guy looks at me, he's with two of his sons. And he looks and he says, we're okay squeezing if you are. (laughs) And I look at him and I'm like, we got six tickets for four seats. And this is Notre Dame Stadium. So four seats is like this. But I'm going to tell you this, I got real up close and personal with them for the whole game. (laughs) 50-yard line, why? Because when it comes down to it, right, we'll get uncomfortable for the things that matter. 
when it comes down to it, we'll sacrifice for the things that matter. So when I look at you and say, well, why don't you read the Bible? Why don't you have a life that actually is rooted and grounded in it? Why don't you have a commitment to it? Why is it that it's pushed off? We'll make room for the things that matter in our lives. And if the Bible doesn't matter to us, it just shows up in how we pursue it. And so just like me packing into all those seats, and Larry's a big guy. He's probably about this tall, but he's probably 230. And we're in this, and we were all, I mean, we were not standing like this. We were all watching like this. <laughs> but I can, tell, I can tell you this, though, right? I can tell you this, is we made it work because it mattered. And I think so often for us, when it comes down to it, the Bible just doesn't matter to us. And nobody is going to stand up on their chair today and say, yeah, the Bible doesn't matter to me. That's right. But every time we overlook the written word of God for whatever our schedule allows us to overlook it with, every time that we come to church and just hope that we can get the, the, the tiny little microcosms of, of biblical understanding that we can maybe apply to our life is the, is the less and less of actually living in the wholeness of God. The wholeness of God. I love the story of the Bible because in my opinion, and some of you guys might get confused in terms of how to read it, and my goal today is to kind of give a little backstory at the end of what I would classify as somebody who um, could stay in it, and, and some of you guys who were in SOS, I talked about the, that this week. Uh, but what I wanted to do is I wanted to focus today uh, on Psalms 119. Now, if you know anything about the Bible, you know there is one chapter that is long. And I mean long, I'm talking long. Yeah. Like 176 verses long. Like, uh, like enough, uh, long enough to where you're like, okay, I got to break this up over a couple days. But here's what you have to understand. I love, in the Bible, I like uh, looking at the, at the rule of, you know, there's something called the rule of first, but even more than that, I... I did a sermon here not too long ago on the first, the last, and the most important. So Jesus' first words, his last words, his most important words. What is the longest book in the Bible? Understanding the longest book in the Bible. What's the shortest book in the Bible? Understanding what the shortest book of the Bible is and why it's important. What's the longest chapter in the Bible? What's the shortest scripture in the Bible? Understanding these things because usually there's meaning and understanding as to why those things are like that. And so if you're willing to explore kind of the depth behind a lot of those things, you find a whole different layer of meaning. So Psalms 119, though, I think is interesting because out of the 176 verses, 173 of them include the term precept, ordinance, command, statue, word, law, or testimony of God. Now, what that means to you today is that 173 out of the 176 verses in the longest chapter in the Bible all talk about how important the Bible is. So literally what we can summarize this morning is that the longest book in the, or chapter in the Bible is all about how important the Bible is. And it's not just one time, two times, three. If something is mentioned 173 times, I would venture to say it's kind of important. I mean, my mom told me 173 times, right, to pick up my room and clean my stuff. And to this day, I have PTSD about it. I walk in my room. I'm like, clothes are on the floor. Sorry, mom. I'm like, I haven't lived with my parents in 10 years, right? 
Because there is a subliminal memory that takes place when something is said that many times, right? You come up and now you function in that reality. Yeah, I know, Mom. And my mom's like, I told you to read the Bible. Fun fact, my mom would be like, I'd be like, can I go to my friend's house? She's like, what chapter of the Bible you'd read today? I'm like, I'm just trying to play with my friends. Well, I'm trying to get you in your word. She, and the best part is, is uh, we used to, she used to say, you know, write me down three things. So I, you better believe I knew what the shortest chapters in Psalms were. Like, I, I'd be like, okay, this one's got six verses. Let me write down two of them and then put God's good. She'd be like, hey, man, <laughs> let's go. Micah, that was good. <laughs> You're like, all right, I'll be back in two hours, right? <laughs> yeah, she, she said, it's okay, it stuck. But what I want to do, though, is 173 out of the 176, we're talking about how important it is. The precept, the law, the ordinance, the word, the testimony. Over and over, David, this is who writes uh, Psalms. David is reinforcing this belief system of how important the words are of God. So what I want to do is I actually picked out my favorites, and they're short verses, but there's 17 of them, okay? So you guys just, it's all right. <laughs> Amen, Mom. Psalms 119.1, how blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. You want to live a blessed life? Walk in the way of the Lord, right? Second one, how can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping according to his word. Some of you guys are wondering how you can raise your kids, how you can keep them according to the Lord's word, if you don't know that. Third one, my soul is crushed with longing after your ordinances at all times. Hold on. Now, a lot of us, I'm not going to lie, like we've probably had soul-crushing moments right? We've had soul-crushing moments. But, oh, sorry. My dad said, give us the verse. Sorry. Psalms 119.20. We've had soul-crushing moments. But this one is, he's like, my soul is crushed because I want to read my Bible more. How many of you guys know that's not really been a soul-crushing thing? I, like, my soul is crushed on three putts that were within eight feet, Right? Jack's soul's crushed in the sand every time. <laughs> right? Our souls are crushed not about, like, how I need your word. Our souls are crushed on everything else and not necessarily realizing that the word is the very thing that elevates your soul. Right? Let's keep reading. Psalms 119.24, your testimonies are my delight, for they are my counselors. If I were to ask you who your counselors are, the people who counsel you on your life, would Scripture even pop up in that narrative? Or even the people that you pick, do they have a biblical understanding? I love it because we always want people who will tell us the truth and give us really good advice. But if we really assess, do they follow the Bible or have even a basic understanding of it? Most of us, I mean, are we honest? Let's keep going. That was uh, Psalms 119. 24. First, Psalms 119, 28. My soul weeps with grief. Strengthen me according to your word. What does that mean, right? Is that when we're living in this place of grief, David's essentially saying that if you need strength, strengthen yourself in the word. Let's keep going, right? 
Because what I'm trying to do is attack the narrative. There are so many angles. We've talked about young men. We've talked about crushing spirit. We've talked about grief. We've talked about blessing. And all of them are related to Scripture. I'm trying to give this massive worldview of like actually Scripture might be connected to just about anything if you choose to look at it like that. Let's keep going, right? Psalms 119.32, I will run the way of your commandments for they enlarge my heart. Psalms 119.32, I will run the way of your commandments for they enlarge my heart. Isn't that interesting? It's like how many of you guys feel bitter, offended, jaded, or cynical, or we just get around people and they just rub us the wrong way? What does the Bible say? Hey, get in his commandments and that will be enlarged. Well, I'm try, I'm tr- what I'm trying to do is just give this massively wide look at how the Bible actually translates to your life and actually how important it is, right? Psalms 119.37, turn my eyes from looking at vanity and revive me in your ways. Psalms 119.40, behold, I long for your precepts. Revive me through your righteousness. Psalms 119.50, This is my comfort in my affliction that your word has revived me. Psalms 119.57, the Lord is my portion. I have promised to keep his words. Psalm 119.62, at midnight I will rise to give thanks. How does that sound in American culture today? I mean, if I called you up 11.59 and was like, you ready to rise and give thanks tonight? Only person I know okay with that. (laughs) She wouldn't be okay with it, but she'd do it. (laughs) She'd be like, did God tell you to do that? Okay, let's do it then. (laughs) Rise it, but right at midnight, I will rise to give thanks because of your righteous ordinances. Like, even saying these things is convicting to my heart because it's like, man, if somebody woke me up and said, hey, let's give thanks for righteous ordinances. be like what but this is genuinely this is David and if you know anything about David is he's super genuine he's super raw and he's super open so you know he's not like being sarcastic about this like I barely can read this without feeling a sense of sarcasm but genuinely he's saying I rise at midnight rejoicing over righteous ordinances the second one I love this one. Psalms 119.70, their hearts are covered in fat, but I delight in your law. What is he saying actually in this one? This one is he saying is their, the, the, their, their hearts are covered in the fluff and the stuff. They delight in everything but. It's not like the, the literal fat. It's, it's essentially saying that they have all the excess of everything without the thing that matters. They have all of this, and they're delighting in all of this, but they're not delighting in the law, right? Let's keep going. Psalms 119.71, it is good that I was afflicted. I'm going to read that one three more times. It is good that I was afflicted. It is good that I was afflicted. It is good that I was afflicted that I may learn your statues. How many of us have looked at life and been like, bring on the affliction, I love it? It's like I microwave something too long and I'm angry. (laughs) Bring on the affliction, God. Oh, it is incredible that I may learn your statues. How many of us have ever looked at life through that lens? 
And that's essentially what David's saying is that as he pursues God, he recognizes that in every affliction, it's an opportunity to go deeper and get God's understanding for what he's going through. Have we ever even had that thought as believers? Is that everything we're going through is not this, oh, this is awful, but it's an opportunity uh, for us to go deeper into the understanding of God. Psalms 119.92 If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I think that one is very relevant and very real today. If the law is not your delight, I would have perished in affliction. If you don't have an understanding of God's law, if you don't have a commitment to understanding of the Bible, you will perish in an affliction at some point. Because I can't sustain you. Our worship band can't sustain you. Sunday mornings can't sustain you. Good people can't sustain you. The only thing that can sustain you is Jesus and the Holy Spirit and an understanding of his word that can be applied to your life in the difficult seasons. And some of us, when we go through difficult, the first thing out the window is God. The first thing out the window is his word. And the first thing we try to do is control it. What he's saying here is, listen, the only way I've gotten through afflictions, the only way I've gotten through trials is by consistently staying in my word that kept me grounded and that kept me focused on you. See, this, what I'm saying is in post-literate society, in all honesty, right, if I ask you the question, when was the last time you even held a flesh and, and a Bible, like a literal one, not one on your phone, I mean a literal one. I mean, when we ask these things and we start assessing our lives, we're like, when was the last time we took concentrated time where it was just us focusing on reading the Bible? Like, once again, I'm not trying to say this to be hypercritical. I'm trying to say this like, hey, if you don't, afflictions will take you over and run you into the ground. That's not me. That's David. That's what we just read. Let's keep going. Psalms 119.97, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all day. It's like some of you guys are wondering where meditation and Eastern religion came from. A lot of it's just offshoots of what we already believe. It's just people wanting to fit it in their own narrative and their own zone of reasoning. It's like I was talking to a buddy not too long ago about he was talking about his third eye like you know, I can't remember if it was Buddhist or Hindu. And I looked at him, I'm like, I, I got that too, except I just call it the Holy Spirit. And it was like this groundbreaking, like, really? That's a, that's a thing? Yeah, it actually is. Like, what am I trying to say is that we need to understand that really in all realms of society and all ways of doing things is that even the term meditation only comes from how people were to perceive and live out Scripture. We were supposed to meditate on it day and night. We were supposed to be chewing on it. We were supposed to be processing it. We're supposed to be reflecting our lives through it. We should be assessing our walk with the Lord. Through it. There is so many layers, right? In the New Testament, it talks about that it, is, it is, can be all, lay, all angles and layers of the Bible can be used for teaching, for correction, for reproof. Everything can be used. Yet we barely or really never use it. But it's good on Sunday mornings. But is it good on Mondays when it's just you reading it? All right, let's keep reading. Psalms 119, 105. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. 
See, when we talk about directional deficiency, so if you're looking at your life and saying, I don't know what my next steps are. I don't really know what God's called me to do. I don't really know what I'm created for. See, I can't pray over you and hold you accountable that, to that every day, but I can tell you this. If you have a walking with the Lord in his word every single day, I promise you, there'll just be thoughts that'll pop up in your mind. Wow, maybe I should do this. And all of a sudden you realize, wow, actually, that's a good idea. Where'd that come from, Holy Spirit? Where'd that come from? A cultivation of your inner lifestyle that allows you to hear him. Where does that come from? Just reading, reflecting, pondering, and inserting his word into the core of your being. I mean, some of us, we're looking and we're saying, I don't know what to do. I don't know what's going on. And, and we're forgetting that the word is the lamp and the light. If you feel dark, get in the light. And that's not just like get into like the ethereal Jesus. That's like get in the word. Let's keep going, right? Psalms 119, 131, I opened my mouth, and here, pause, I want to give a little bit, ah, it's already up there, who cares. We did a couple of these a few weeks ago because I was preparing for this, but it's like the imagery of these next two, this was actually, I talked about this in our midweek service, but the imagery is just ridiculous. I opened my mouth wide and panted, for I longed for your commandments. No offense, nobody in this room has done this, Right? Could you imagine, I mean, the visual image of this is an actual dog. I opened my mouth wide and I panted, for I longed for your commandments. The imagery of this, what it's trying to do is literally push us to a place of such uncomfortability that we realize that it's uncomfortable because we just couldn't imagine even doing it. We couldn't imagine somebody who loved the Bible that much. We couldn't imagine somebody who had such a pretense on it. Psalms 119, 148, my eyes anticipate the night watches so I may meditate on your word. There are four night watches. There are four night watches in, in the Roman time period. It was sunset to 9 p.m., 9 p.m. to midnight, midnight until 3 a.m., and 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. Now, in other translations, it actually says, I anticipated the later watches. What does that mean? I anticipate reading my Bible at 12 a.m. to 3 a.m. and 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. What am I trying to get at? Is we are blowing the box of what we, of this comfortable consumption of Scripture. David is so far out of the land of American westernized consumption of the Bible, and what that means is we are really trying to come at it from a different angle. Psalms 119, 160, the sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous ordinances is everlasting. Psalms 119, 173, let your hand be ready to help me, for I have chosen your precepts. Essentially saying that when I choose your word, I recognize that your hand is ready to help. So what I want to do today is I want to get us to a place of where his words have meaning. And how do we get to that place where his words have meaning? Three things. The first one, the Bible gives you a reach advantage on the enemy. The Bible gives you a reach advantage. A few years ago, I got into a weird kick of boxing. Uh, and I really did enjoy it. My mom was like, hey, man, I'm happy you don't do that anymore. You don't need your brain rattled. Dead serious, she used to tell me that. Mike, is your brain? Sick? 
gives you a reach advantage. Early on in boxing, you find out that it's not your dominant hand that determines if you're a good boxer. It's your non-dominant. Because what happens is, is your dominant hand is usually cocked back, but your non-dominant hand is really where your jab's at, and it keeps people at bay. Because they have to come this way, and you have to keep your hand out and keep your head back. And so what you find out early on is that if, you, if you're taller and you have a reach advantage, if you have a good left hand, you don't get hit a ton because you can keep people out. You can keep people away. And I found out rather early on that I didn't like getting hit in the face. <laughs> and so I'm dead serious. What my training turned into was I only would use my left hand for an hour at a time, just my left hand. And I, I'm, I'm not saying I was a good boxer. I wasn't. I got hit in the face a lot. But I can tell you this is my left hand towards the end is that when people would come in, my, I'm long, and so I could sit back, and I would never even throw this sucker, but that left hand, they would eat it. Because I wasn't going to get hit in the face. If I just sat here and went like this, <laughs> right? But that reach advantage allowed them to not get in. Now, early on when I didn't understand what that reach advantage was, and I didn't understand that the weakness actually depended the, the the life expectancy of my career in boxing depended on my development of a weakness see some of you guys we don't realize that your life expectancy as a believer comes down to your development of weaknesses and one right now in the church by and large is the understanding of scripture and the commitment to it outside of a sunday if i told you your longevity is absolutely 100% connected to that process, how would you be able to respond? Because I'm telling you this, I found out rather quickly, if I didn't have a left hand that knew where it was going, because in the beginning, it just was like this. Because nobody's used to just throwing their left hand, right? I mean, and some of us are like, oh, I am, all the dudes. You're like, no, you're not. You get in boxing, you get hit a few times, <laughs> you're not. But I promise you that over time as I realize, oh my gosh, I better have a left hand that keeps the reach out so it can't get in. And that's what the Bible does for us, is it gives us the reach advantage on the enemy to where when he throws something at us, we can throw it back to where it doesn't get in. And some of us, if we assessed our lives, we sat here and said, everything's getting in right now. Fear, negativity, drama, all the stuff, politicalness, all the stuff. All the offense, all the bitterness, it's all getting in. You know why it is? It's because you haven't developed an understanding of Scripture that allows to keep it at bay, and the enemy just hits you in the ribs and hits you in the face and hits you in the ribs and hits you in the face, and you're wondering why life feels like it's beating you up because it actually is. See, some of us, the reach advantage that God's wanting us to develop right now is just, can you be in my word because it keeps the devil at bay? And we don't even realize that the devil is attacking us. And so really, when you start to get into scripture and you read things that challenge you, it's challenging you to develop the weakness that can keep the enemy out. When you read something in the Bible and you're like, ooh, I don't know if I want to believe that. It's because it's coming against the flesh. And the enemy wants you thinking that way so he can keep hitting you in the gut. How do you develop? Right? We've got to develop. The second thing, the Bible's a power strip, not a wall outlet. You know, some of us, we look at the Bible and we're wondering like, okay, it's one outlet. So in this amount of time, I get one return, right? And that one return is I get a little bit of Jesus, 
No, when you plug into the Bible, right? I wrote some words on here. When you plug into the Bible, all of a sudden you've got a power strip of character development. You've got a power strip of understanding financial uh, blessing and not even blessing, but understanding stewardship. You've got family and marriage things, right, where it's going to convict you on how you're leading as a man or a woman in your world, right? You've got health and well-being where it will attack the well-being of your mind. It will talk about the health of your body and what's vital for that, right? we got long-term vision. When you're plugged into the Bible, you're getting character, finances, family and marriage, health and well-being, long-term vision, right? And the last one says, I can't even read my own handwriting perseverance man that's a good one I should put that one first right we're plugging into the Bible and a lot of us when we plug in we're like okay Bible I'm getting Jesus we're not thinking when I'm plugging into the Bible I'm getting character I'm getting finances I'm getting family and marriage I'm getting health and well-being I'm getting long-term vision I'm getting perseverance I'm getting faith I'm getting breakthrough I'm getting miracles and understanding where those come from and how I can pray for them I'm getting weaknesses turned into strengths see a lot of us we're looking at Jesus, no, you're not getting that. And a lot of us, that's how we've always measured what a relationship with the Bible is, not knowing that we're missing the gravity of it because the devil wants us to. He wants us to. How to get to a place where his words have meaning. The first one, the Bible gives you a reach advantage. The second, the Bible is a power strip, not a wall outlet. And the last one is it must have rhythm and it must have routine. If not, your house is on sand. Matthew 7, 24 to 27. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them. I love how it adds that part. Not just hears, but does. Will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. So my parting thought is for some of you guys, you're looking to say, I have no clue where to start in the Bible. That's okay. That's what this Sunday was all about, is just getting us to a place where we realize not only the importance and the need, but the urgency. The church needs an understanding of Scripture so that we can look at this world in a way that's not cynical and not distancing, but rather, okay, God, what are the ways that we can meet the world with your love? Because a lot of us, what we've used is we've used the Bible to divide instead of a strategy to build a bridge. And so what I want to do is we have our Bible reading plan, which you can text um, Bible to 269 This is my Bible reading plan that I've always done, and I know a lot of people um, here that do it, and I got it from a guy named Bob Sorge, who's just an incredible author. I've done it for like five years, and it's an incredible reading plan. You can text it. They'll, they'll say it kind of at the end, but I want to challenge you on this, is rhythms and routines. For me personally, uh, I just added something actually like two months ago, is where every morning when I wake up, The very first thing, I put my Bible on top of my phone, and the very first thing I'm doing is just open up my Bible, reading one chapter of Psalms, and praying right then. Just starting my day with that. And then I would encourage you, just the starting place is three times a week, 20 to 30 minutes. Just find room. And if you're looking at me and saying, I don't have 60 to 90 minutes over the course of an entire week, I would look at you and say, you've got pretty big issues. Right? 
Find rhythms and routines three times a week, 20 to 30 minutes. And if you need a reading plan, we've got it right there. Grow 269-924-0909. We'll have that ready for next service so we can throw that up. I don't know who's on media. John, I love you though. Um, but what I'm trying to say is this, is a lot of us, we're looking and saying, yeah, I really want to follow the Bible. Yeah, I really want to be a part of a life-giving relationship with the Word. But we have no rhythm, we have no routine, and we let life dictate if we actually pursue that depth. And so today, I just wanted to challenge all of us, right? The Bible is actually something that has meaning. It's actually something that has merit. It's actually something that can speak to you. If you're looking for a translation, an easy beginner translation for me would be NLT. You could look at that. NLT is a great beginner translation. Um, if, once again, if you're looking for a reading plan, if you have questions about even reading the Bible, I'm going to be up here after service. But this whole weekend was all about challenging us. Challenging us. We cannot be Christians who don't read the Bible. We cannot be Christians who don't read the Bible. We can all stand to our feet. I'm going to pray.